0: Eli Ord, uh, obviously you don't. Uh, Graeme Graham Ord's son, he's the he's associate pastor at Metro, so you know we like to keep it in the MB family but we 're not doing any exchanges, okay? Uh, so we want to do that. I, uh, I am delighted to be here. I'm, I know we 've had a really um, uh, powerful season of teaching uh, through the Book of James, and we 've been in this, this journey, and I know Pastor Glenn has been expanding the beauties of theology and pulling everything together uh, for you we 've enjoyed that at um, Highway 33 certainly and we've just uh, been seeing such fruit in this last ministry season which has been absolutely fantastic and, and what a, a wonderful thing, uh, we, we talk about you know all tickets are gone for Living Nativity, of course they're free, so, um, so we just get an indication how many people are coming which will be at this moment well over 7,500 people, isn't that fantastic? So uh, I'm excited about that, and we're going back and we're, of course, re- we're telling the story of the nativity. We've got a, a, a bit of um, uh, a Scottish influence to it this year, which will be interesting, and, um, and, and just so much thank you. So I want to first of all just say thank you so much for the, this campus and for your support of Nick and Jenny and the coming together of working on that market, which proved to be a really uh, powerful connection point uh, for the community at large that come and join us for this 32 years of living nativity's history, which is, um, which is amazing to see the way that the, the Lord has worked. But let's be in prayer. Let's pray that the Lord will, will, uh, will speak to people. Reveal himself to people, renew faith, and bring that, um, that connection. And let's pray against sickness and illness, particularly for all of those who are acting and performing. That would be, ah, uh, it keeps me up at night. Uh, so, so do pray for that, for a really fruitful time for protection. And um, if you haven't got tickets, we'll let you know if tickets become available. Keep watching the website and so on. Uh, there possibly will be more tickets coming available. We're going to honor the firefighters um, on Friday evening at 7.30. And the uh, chief is coming. And, the, and just for a moment, just to say thank you, many of us were touched by uh, the firestorms, and we witnessed it from our homes, and, and uh, the 31 fire departments that came to the aid of our city. And the leadership they were experienced by our three local fire chiefs was uh, fantastic. So we want to pause as a city. So we have created space for firefighters to come and, uh, and set so many seats aside. So if you haven't got them, but um, I don't know how many will come, but we should know by Tuesday. So more tickets may well become available and, um, and you'll be able to invite. Otherwise, volunteer and sneak in. Amen. <laughs> That's the way it works. So if you haven't volunteered and you're not really a servant, then uh, now God's saying you are. And so so go for it. But I, I, I did say to Glenn, with, I'd block this two weeks off, uh, Pastor Uh, Eldon Lepke is preaching for me at 33, and uh, last week, uh, Lorne Pearson, uh, pastor, was preaching uh, last week, and these two weeks were kind of prep, but I uh, discovered that it was the 30th uh, wedding, and I said, you can't come back and preach, keep going, and enjoy 30 years to celebrate. I will come and preach, and preach something I've preached before. So... So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, so we're going to travel back in time for a moment, and we are going to turn our attention to James chapter um, 1, in fact. And I want to share something that really inspired me from James chapter 1. So let's, um, let's bring up that verse on the screen, uh, I believe verse 22, or I can click. Oh, look at this, we want to... Not go backwards. So I want to jump in at this verse. I did think when I was thinking about this, which of the sermons really informed me at a spiritual level to bring transformance in my life, brought a fresh view. And certainly these verses struck me, not only struck me, but this whole section convicted me, the whole of James convicts me, 52 prepositions of saying what we should do and what we should not do and how we should live. I mean, the brother of Jesus really knew how to throw repeated punches. He knew how to make us feel like, come on, get your act together. You know, no doubt, James is the earliest of all the Christian writings. Probably it was written between 42 and 44 uh, AD. That's making it incredibly important because we understand that the Christology and the message is, is woven in here. But also we see many of the referrals, particularly to the book of Matthew in the book of James. Sermon on the Mount is rooted here in the book of James. And if you compare the two, you can see the way that it works together. But if you do, are opening your Bibles, look at verse 19 before we jump to my main text. We'll perhaps think of this as a, a sandwich, a little introduction of bread and then the meat and then our aim to finish off. Otherwise, it will be cheese on toast or something. My dear brothers, verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The introduction here deals with our ability to listen and to accept the word of God in our lives. The next verses that I'm going to be talking about continues that theme, moving from acceptance to action. So first of all, the author James here is describing to us that we have to be willing to accept, that we have to be willing to to lean in. And accept what the Word of God teaches us and how it ministers to us. And how, do, how should we do that? Well, of course, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's good advice. Husbands, it's fantastic advice. To be quick to listen. That kind of quick to listen is a kind of opposite in its construct in the Greek that you understand that it kind of makes you think for a moment. It goes, what? I'm not often, I'm quick to speak. Why is this so important? Well, of course, they didn't have the Bible in the way that we have it today. They certainly did not have the New New Testament. They were listening to um, scriptures. They were listening to letters. They were listening to, like, the book of James, and they would gather around it, and many people could not read. It was Uh, a society where literacy wasn't prevalent. And and he's saying to him, listen, I want you to really lean in and I want you to listen to what the Word of God is saying to you. This is critical for your spiritual growth and your development. It's to lean in and listen to what God wants to say to you now within your life. We've become very poor and very unable to even sit and be still and to listen in today's society. But when we listen and we lean in, we start to hear what God is saying to us. We start to hear how God wants to deal with us. We start to understand. Not only does it say quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry." Anger is a terrible thing within each of our lives. Anger builds up. Anger and resentment, bitterness can grab hold of us. Anger can be present, and and it's a frightening thing when a church becomes always quick to speak and slow to listen, and starts to minister out of a sense of anger. Anger does not change lives. Anger does not draw people to Jesus. The church is called not to be an angry church. The church is called to be a beacon of light to make a difference in the world and to shine the good news of Jesus Christ. So when anger roots in a community's life or roots in our life, that anger produces unrighteousness. But when the word of God is at work within our life, then we change and we have to battle against subtle anger. That, that internal battle that we know that when we re- greet people, when we know people, we need to take aware of, 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 of what is going on within our spirits and within our hearts because it's so easy to be caught in the trap of offense, of frustration, of resentment, of anger. And this anger never bears fruit. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak, he's saying. Not quick to judge. Not quick to be reactive. Not quick to respond. Not quick to, to literally flip our lids, which of course is what it means in, um, in kind of psychological terms. That, that this part of our brain, which is this, this kind of um, old basic, where all our emotions and that, that survival and all of that goes on, that, that when we get angry, literally, we flip our lid, and this part of our brain comes forward, and boom, we're, um, we're angry. It takes about 20 minutes to get right again for all your chemicals and everything to settle down. Did you know that? That's, I learned that in early intermarriage. So once the lid had been flipped, I, th- I sent my timer. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, the conversation became, became a lot more helpful, shall we say. Have any of you experienced that? Have any of you learned it? <laughs> yes, some of you are really admitting it, and you can make an appointment with me this week. But, <laughs> you see, anger... It's, it's this desire. God desires us to get rid, and then it goes into get rid of moral filth, get rid of all that is in us, purify ourselves. And how do we do this? We do it by planting the Word of God deep within our lives. And that process... Of planting the word of God that brings. So we have to listen. We have to be eager. He wants us to engage and get him rid of, and the word of God allows us to filter ourselves and so on, and to be able to to do that, to take stock of our lives. That's why confession is the core activity of a Christian believer, that we confess. We are on our knees. We deal rigorously with all that can affect us. We watch ourselves carefully. We listen to the inner dialogue. We search our souls and understand what God is saying to us. And we find that place where we're able, as it says, and this is the beginning, is therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent and humbly accept The word planted in you, which can save you. Which word? The word of the gospel, the word of scripture, the word of truth that is planted within you. That is what purifies us in our relationship with Jesus, and that's what brings change in our lives. The word of God should transform our lives. Uh, Recently, my son was 17. A number of things have happened. Um, he was 17, and he, um, he's passed his driving test, which is terrifying, isn't it? And wonderful, and he has a girlfriend. How did that happen? If, if Bella's seven, he's three. And um, he's uh, three years old, like, uh, yeah, driving around in a Volkswagen. What's going on? And, and, and then he said, Dad, can I have all my friends round for my party? Yeah, we just want to hang out and play cards and and do all of this and and then uh, and uh, I, yeah, it's his seventeenth. Bring them all around. They all came round. I put my earphones in and I listened to Tolkien and um, a very long book. And and then then they all decided to jump in my help tub. Nine of them. It's only designed for six. Anyway, I made the mistake that I came back, I I forgot to look at it, and in four days' time I came back and opened it up. I knew there was something wrong because there were trout swimming in it. (laughs) And I began that process of emptying it, refilling it, cleaning it, and going, oh, I love my son right? What purifies and filters the filth and the failings within our inner heart is allowing the Word of God to ruminate in our lives. We've got to be willing to deal rigorously with the stuff that affects our lives. So, the main pit. Do not merely listen to the Word And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Isn't that just the most confusing scripture at times? I mean, who of you look in a mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what you look like. Like, what is this mirror? What is this mirror about? How does this mirror work? What he's actually talking about in verse 22? He introduces the whole idea that it's all very well to know the Word of God and have knowledge of the Word of God, but it's a very different thing to act and do something with the Word of God in your life. So what is the mirror? Well, the mirror, very simply, is the Word of God. So when you look in at the mirror, the Word of God, and you take the knowledge, but then you walk away, it's like you're a man who looks in a mirror and you walk away and you forget what the Word of God is actually speaking to you. Do we do that? Well, I think men do. I can't speak for, for the women here, because that would be dangerous. But I know that I often look in the mirror and forget what I've seen and walk away. See, my wife will often, I'm at that age now where things are happening to my body, my facial body here. Where things are growing and appearing that I never would have expected to be taking place. Like hair is appearing in my ears. <laughs> Particularly between where I used to have nice two eyebrows here, there seems to be an ability to grow a wire fence between here <laughs> that I did not have in my 40s, right? And my wife will often look at me, she goes, oh, sweetie. Oh, oh, oh. Do any of your wives do this to you guys? Look at that hair. Oh, let me just pull that. Look at the size of that. And what's going on with your ears? What are you growing there? Potatoes. And your nose. Like what goes on in our nose, guys, in our 50s, right? So I say to her, don't worry, I will groom and deal with this. I go to the mirror, I look, I forget, I walk away, and my hair is still there. What is the Word of God? Well, the Word of God is a mirror. And when we apply the mirror and we look at ourselves... We are looking at who we are. We're looking at the anger. We're looking at what we're battling with. We're looking at our, okay, our issues. And what he's saying is don't, don't be like a man that sees where there is a problem and you look in the mirror and then you walk away and you never act on what God wants you to act on. Because the word of God is always a mirror that speaks to you. That's challenging, isn't it? Because how many of us have heard the word of God spoken in our lives, but then we've walked away and we've forgotten that we needed to take action. We needed to change. We needed to be different. But the mirror isn't just the Word of God in one sense. It is also that you gaze at yourself through the Word of God. And this is like wing mirrors, which I have been teaching my son to drive before he passed, how to use his wing mirrors to reverse back and all parallel parking, right? If one looks inside of us and we see who we truly are, the other mirror of the Word of God is that we gaze into, we gaze into the very character, the very presence, the very wonder, the very theological beauty of who God is. So if you are running your life and walking in the Lord, what you want to do in one, you need to be glancing at yourself and taking action And seeing what the word of God is saying to you. And then you need to be gazing at the glory and the wonder and the amazement of the presence of God and all that God has for you. Two areas. Two areas of A, soul searching. And B, God gazing. That you are gazing into who God is. Truly is. Isn't that beautiful? But isn't that really the reality of the intimate relationship that we have with Christ? That that we, anyone who listens to the word of God, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he is looking at. But whoever looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it. Interesting word, lux. You could overlook the word lux here. The actual Greek construct of this word lux is only used in this sense twice in another spot in, in, in the Gospels. And it's in John chapter 20. The word luck means intensely. It doesn't have the intensity in our English. It looks to really gaze, really go for it, really luck intensely. Where it's used in other places is in John chapter 20 where... Peter runs to the tomb. The empty tomb is present, and Peter looks in the tomb and looks intensely. Where is Jesus? The other word that's used is when Mary Magdalene gets to the tomb and looks intensely. Where is Jesus? What's going on? This is so important. I need, I'm looking, I need to see. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law... What is the perfect law? It's the Word of God. And what gives us freedom is the truth of the Word of God in our lives that gives us freedom. So when we're in the Word, and when we're looking intensely... And when we're looking at who we are in light of the Word... And we're looking at who God is in light of the Word... This becomes these two mirrors that brings a transformation to our souls and enables us to grow in closeness to God. And in our non-listening, non-being still culture of always doing but never pausing, this process of spiritual growth has become more and more difficult. But let us push on for a moment. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What is the perfect law? Well, of course, it, they're talking about the Old Testament, and the truth. What gives freedom is the perfect story and life of Jesus Christ and the new covenant. In the um, ESV version, this looks like the NIV, it talks about... The, um, the fact of the liberating truth. So it's almost the EF, uh, English version brings out the, the, the kind of 2 of this. That there is the, the written logos and there's a reality of Christ in the word of God that transform us. And it's our relationship with Jesus that ultimately brings transformation in our lives. And if you want to be transformed, spend time with Jesus. If you want to be transformed, evaluate your life and confess your sins. If you want to be transformed, be willing to come to him. And he continues it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. So basically, you hear it and you do it and you do it and you do it. This is a, an echo here of Matthew chapter 25, when we have the idea of the ta- talents, that when you're given talents, and you're given something from the Lord, that you go and you do not bury it, but you use what the Lord has given you, and you give it, and you give it, and you give it. Now, what happens when we are obedient with our talents? What happens when we are obedient with what God speaks to us? What happens when we're obedient to allow the law and and the word of God to, to mold us? And we're willing to look in the two mirrors, the one mirror of who we are and be honest about our failings, and the one mirror of who the glory of God is and bring these two together. What happens to us? Well, very simply, James, in his clear style, simply says, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. What is it? They will be blessed in what they do. So there's a promise that if you allow yourself to be created and formed by the Word of God, if you allow yourself to sit in that intimacy with the Lord, if you allow yourself to to look at who God is and who you are, if you allow yourself to go into this spiritual journey of formation, then your life will be changed and you will be blessed as a result of it and you will change. So how do you change then? In what way? Isn't it interesting that verse 25 As it leads into the change of paragraph in verse 26. Says those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. Boom. James the ever practical one. We'll know whether God is really working in your life because we'll be able to see it by the way that you speak about people and act about people and what comes out of your mouth. Oh, that's challenging, isn't it? That's challenging because he brings that little, that little connection to a horse and riding a horse and using a bit and controlling your tongue, but you see that you're really transformed because of the way that you speak and the way that you are and the what comes out of your mouth. And every one of us knows that words can kill. You may have had words spoken to you as an adolescent and you may be now in your 50s or 60s, but somehow those words still can time travel and they still sting. True? Because of the power of words, the power of what we say, the power of what comes out of our mouths. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after the orphans the widows, in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How do you keep yourself by from uh, being polluted by the world? Well, one, you examine yourself with the word of God and that process never stops. It's called sanctification. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. Two, you never stop exploring the nature, the character, the glory, the wonder, the attributes of God himself in Jesus Christ, who is magnificent. Keep the two. And how can we tell? The way we speak, the way we act, and the things we do. Christians, as I close, haven't been very good at this, have we? At times, the way we speak, throughout church history. There's a little story of the 1750s of the well-known Methodist preacher, John Wesley, who preached all over Britain. John Wesley probably saved Britain from a French-style revolution. From being ruled by Uh, dictators or by being overthrown and becoming a republic because one man was preaching in the fields and 50,000 people responded to the gospel and as a result that was enough of a tipping point within culture in the 1750s that the revolution never happened because there was a spiritual revolution instead of a human revolution. And it only takes a few to tip it. And we have to remember that even in Canada today. But he was preaching and Christians get annoyed over things. And, and this lady was there who was known to the church and everything to be rather critical. And John Wesley was wearing a particular tie with, with, with um, tassels on. Apparently, back then, that's what upset people about pastors. Was the tie and the tassels. And at the end of his sermon, I guess this was a pretty dynamic tie and tassel in the biography. He, he finishes and the lady comes storming up to him and gives him what for. Can you imagine giving John Wesley what for? And tells him how, how off-putting and how negative and how absolutely terrible this tie is. And he apologizes and said, Madam, do you have a pair of scissors? And he, she goes, I happen to have a pair of scissors. I guess that was what happens in the 1750s. I, oh, I have a pair of scissors and a wrench. And, and then he says, please, I allow you to adjust accordingly. And she basically cut off his tassels and his things and made it acceptable. And then he simply said, Madam, may I now give you advice? Maybe apply those scissors to your tongue. (laughs) Because for some of us, we need to learn to cut back in the way that we speak and the way that we act. Boom. As Pastor Glenn would say, drop the mic moment. (laughs) incredibly convicting for all of us because some of us, we need to apply the scissors of the Holy Spirit to the way we speak, the way that we act. We need to deal with the anger that is within us. We need to look at our lives and be people of action, not just knowledge. Don't look in the mirror of the word of God and hear this sermon and walk away and forget what is glaring at you. And allow the Lord To beautifully and always lovingly trim things (laughs) off your life. And the communion is the ideal time for this, dear friends. And Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Saying that this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying that this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. This is a moment, Corinthians teaches us before we take communion to clearly examine oneself. Because amongst you, you are sick and ill, and even some of you have died. Because you have not examined yourself before the Lord. Powerful words. That when we come to communion, it's a matter of examining our hearts. None of us are too bad, too wretched to come to this table of love. Because all of us have access to it through the forgiveness, immense love and grace. The way the Father loves Jesus is the same way that the Father and the Son love you. It's what John taught us. You are loved. You are accepted. You are amazing. You are God's and you are loved. But don't, don't come without examination, confession, and releasing. And allowing the spiritual reality of the cross and Christ's death to make that difference in your life. So, Father, we thank you now for these lovely emblems, for the moment where we can, in the silence, address our own needs and maybe confess our anger, our words. Maybe at the beginning of Advent, Lord, we need this journey of purification. To come and say, Lord Jesus, come and cleanse me, I pray. Come close to all of my friends here. Wonderful. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters that love you and have made the effort to be here. So I pray that they will be blessed this morning as they take the bread and wine I pray in the name of Christ Amen Amen I'm sure you know how it flows from this point do people just come forward you come as you feel and wherever and uh, And just take the communion to where you are. Take it on your own as we worship. And do that intimate work with the Lord as you take communion this morning. The Lord bless you.